0: following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. What does it mean to live the Christian life? What does it look like? Uh, I'm regularly asked for people, can you tell me what the will of God is? And the answer very easily, and not flippantly, is always to go back to His Word and say, uh, the will of God is very clearly defined within His Word. What most people are are really asking is, is there any other alternatives to this? Because what I read in this, I'm not fully uh, sure I want to buy into because the standards are pretty high. Uh, It's calling me to live, as Peter would have said, a distinctively Christian life within a distinctively non-Christian world, uh, that we're to be noticed in our Christian life, that we're to be distinguished from the world around us because of the profession that we make, because of what we say we believe affects the way that we live. So often we want to be able to say that we believe something uh, and not let anybody else around us know it that we want to hold some uh, political uh, leaning privately because we don't want to, to cause an uproar. We, we would hold a social position. We would hold an affinity to a team uh, or however those are because we just don't want to be a polarizing figure. We just sort of want to float through the middle uh, and go along. Uh, I read a book a while back. It was talking about the Navy SEALs and the Navy SEAL training. And one of the things that they talked about in the Navy SEAL training was they wanted to try to eliminate and expose the gray man The gray man in the understanding was the person who was just sort of in the middle and didn't distinguish themselves either by being really bad or by being really good. They just hid right in the middle. I think the American church has that problem. That we've got a lot of people who just don't want to distinguish themselves either way. You don't want to be so bad that everyone goes, look at that person's life, what a mess. And you want to be so Christian over here that people go, wow, what a zealot over there. This person is a fanatic. Uh, Tone it down. Can't you just hang out in the middle where it's nice and gray? James the brother of Jesus wrote this letter that we've been studying over the last several weeks and he basically said folks there's no middle you are either on fire for Jesus Christ or you're not on fire for Jesus Christ you're either a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not a follower of Jesus Christ your life either will represent uh, what Christ and the kingdom of heaven has says or it won't. And you're going to have to decide for yourself which camp you want to be in, uh, that you need to make a decision for yourself. Who is it that I will follow today? You think back to Joshua when he said, I see everything that's laid out in front of me, all of the options, all the alternatives. And as for me and my house, we will determine today to follow the Lord that there will be a distinctive nature about this home and about this family, that we are going to live this way. That's what James is calling us to. James is writing this letter, as we've said, to those Jewish Christians and others who were around the, Pacific, or around the Mediterranean rim, and they were being persecuted, some of them. Uh, they were trying to live out their Christian life in a culture very similar to ours, but even worse than ours. One that didn't recognize them as an official religion, one that saw them as a sect or a cult, Uh, one that couldn't understand why they wouldn't go run after everything else, Uh, one that would basically persecute them because if they didn't say that Rome had all of the power, if uh, the emperor was not the new deity, uh, then they were open to persecution. And so here were these people, and they were trying to figure it out. And they were trying to live it out. And James says, if you're going to live it out, it's going to be shown in your works. You're saved by grace through faith. But that grace and faith is working itself out in your life and we're going to be able to notice it. We're going to see it. So he's been saying, and last week we wrestled with that truth, uh, of you are justified by your works. Your, your declaration of faith, your profession of faith, uh, has teeth and it has validity when you see it worked out in your life. I remember hearing the story uh, of a young woman who had grown up in the church and she had gone off to school and she was involved in the life of her college And she came back one summer, and a friend of hers who had been this wild uh, person in a fraternity had come to know Jesus that summer through a ministry. And when he saw this young woman at college, he looked at her and he said, are you a Christian? And she looked and said, well, can't you tell that I am? And her response was, no. Actually, nothing in your life makes me think that you're a believer. And she was rather offended and he said, but can I tell you about what it looks like to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? And shared the gospel with her, and her life was forever changed and turned around right there. Many of you are in that camp. You say that you believe in Jesus Christ. You, you say that you love him, but your life is just in that vacillating side. And if you were brought up on a jury trial, would there be enough evidence, as has been asked before, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would your friends around you be able to go, yep, that, that person's a believer, Or would they say, ah, I know they go to church. I know they have a Bible and they thump it a lot. Uh, I know that they argue a lot about social issues and they get really upset with political things. Uh, And I know they talk a good talk. But I'm not sure whether or not they're actually a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the ways that you may be exposed is the manner in which you speak. James, in James chapter 3, if you've got your Bible you can turn over there. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of James chapter 3. And we're going to look at this small and easy topic of our words, of the tongue, of how we speak, uh, and the power of the tongue and the power of our words uh, within our lives and in the lives of others. And so as we come to God's word, let's ask his blessing upon it this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word that you spoke, and that it is true, and that it is filled with integrity. It matches perfectly with your character and your heart. There is no deceit. There is no double-sidedness. There is nothing but true representation of who you are. As we look at your word, would we come under its conviction by your Spirit? And would you show us how we can in our lives, through our speech, be vessels of life and not death, Be men and women of integrity in a world where there is such duplicity. Father, we praise you and we thank you. Come now and teach us, we pray. In your son's name, amen. This is God's very word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, Full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. So this morning, we're going to look at four things about this passage, and I've given it in four uh, words, starting with the letter P. We're going to look at the power of our words. We're going to look at the purpose of our words. We're going to look at the problem that we have with our words, and then the prescription that God gives for our words. So we're going to look at the power, uh, the purpose, the problem, and the prescription. First, the power of our words. Look at verses 2 to 6. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also to bridle the whole body. If he bits into the mouths of horses, so they obey us, and we guide the whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among members, staining the whole body. So first thing that we see about the tongue is the tongue and our words, though seemingly small, in comparison to the rest of our body and to the rest of us, the features that you notice about an individual when they walk into the room uh, is not the tongue. It's hidden. It's back and behind but the tongue and our words are the things which really have the most power over us and reveal an awful lot about us. If you've ever been around somebody and you think they're so sweet and they're so wonderful, they're dressed beautifully and they're, uh, they're dressed so handsomely and they're nice and wonderful in how they appear, and then they open their mouth and you hear them speak, I'm sure there's been times in your life when you're just aghast. Like, wow, that came out of that person? those words came out, they begin to reveal something about that person. And James is saying this tongue, this little thing that we have here, the tongue and our words, it controls us. It has the power to move who we are and shape who we are. And he gives these pictures of a bridle to a horse and a little spark to a forest fire or a rudder to a ship or a boat. He says those little things have incredible power to navigate and to steer and to control the entire thing. So one of the first things we see about the power of the words uh, in our lives is the power of words, they reveal our hearts. The power of our words, they have the power to reveal our hearts. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Yikes. I hate those kind of passages, don't you? Because what has just come up in your mind? Where is your mind right now? You're going, oh, no. That means when I see Jesus, he's going to go, Billy, do you remember when you were in fifth grade and you called James McClellan fat? You're going to be held accountable for that. You remember when you were in eighth grade and you said to this person, or you said to your mother and father this, or you said to your sons this, or you said to your wife this, or you spoke this. And you're going, oh no. What Jesus is really saying is this it's not that you're going to be judged on your words per se, your status with God is not based on that. But he is saying this You say that you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, you say that you love Christ. Then your words will give testimony to what you say you believe. And your words will expose whether or not that's true. How you speak reveals something about who you are, it reveals something about the condition uh, of your heart, it it reveals something about the very condition of the nature of your soul. And we should pause at that. And he says uh, of teachers, he says, not many of you should want to be teachers. Not because being a teacher puts you in a higher category per se, but guess what teachers do? They use words. And so they have a larger uh, bank account by which to be judged against. The Proverbs speak regularly of even a fool when he keeps his mouth shut is considered wise. And others who have said, I can't remember which uh, writer, it wasn't W.C. Fields, I can't remember who it was, Uh, who said, better to remain silent than to speak and to take away all doubt. Um, uh, Better to be a fool and remain silent than to speak and to take away all doubt. In silence, there's something good about that. Because what Jesus is saying, and we're saying, is your words say something about you. Your words say something about you. He says, because I see people who profess Jesus, and they profess to follow me is what he's saying. But then they spew forth these words. Their lives are filled with hatred and bigotry. Their lives are filled with deceit. Uh, Their lives and their words speak of this duplicity of life. They said it shouldn't be that way. So realize this, folks. Your words reveal something about you. So I guess the question would be, what do they reveal? Ask someone who loves you very much. Who you're around a lot. And say, what do my words reveal about the condition of my heart? And see what they say. Hopefully, you'll be encouraged. Maybe you'll be challenged. Say, what I hear is a lot of complaining. I hear a lot of tearing down of other people. I hear a great amount of moralism. I hear a great amount of this. I hear a great amount of cursing. I hear a great amount uh, of all of the filth that goes with the world around us. I don't hear much about Jesus, but you say you love Jesus. What do you like to talk about more than anything else? You like to talk about the thing that you're most passionate about. And so Jesus is saying similarly, your words are going to reveal something about yourself. They reveal the condition of your heart. One of the powers that the word, our words have over is they also have a power over the people who hear our words. You've heard the silly old tale of the kids say, sticks and stones can break my bones. What's the next line? What was that? But words can never hurt me. Is that true? It should say something more like sticks and stones can break my bones and an orthopedic can put me back together. But words will stay with me for the rest of my life. How many of you right now, just in this moment, can go back to damaging words from even in your childhood? Of a parent who said something to you so piercing. Or of a spouse who said something to you and it lingered with you. I can still hear the words of friends uh, on a playground making fun of me. They still reside deep down. I have to fight those words. And they're words. Sticks and stones? Who cares? Words have a power over people that are around you. You need to realize that. You need to realize the power of the words that you have. They have power to bring life and they have power to bring death. They have power to restore and they have power to tear down. They have power to build up and they have power to just dismantle and crush a person. How many of you parents have seen that in the eyes of your children? Something great's happened in their lives, and the very first thing you do is go and you say something, and you need to see it in their countenance that it's all gone. Or if you're a boss, In the life of somebody who works for you, our words have power over the people that we speak them to. Realize that. Let that soak in of the power of our words. But guess who else the power of these words? The power of these words also has power not only of the hearer, but it also speaks of the the one who speaks. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give it, excuse me, wrong one. Let me flip back up. It says, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness, verse 6. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Words have power not only over the hearer, but over the speaker. All of a sudden, there's this sense within our words that we begin to believe them, that they have a power and they fester within us. They take hold within us and they affect us. Don't think that your words only affect those who are around, but it affects you as well. Uh, It has a powerful effect internally on the one who speaks. So there's a power to our words. It, It is a power that guides and shapes our lives. It is a power that reveals our hearts. It's a power that affects other people around us in that way. And now we have to ask the question then, well, if it has this kind of power, what's the purpose of our words? Why would God give us something? Why would he give us a tool? Why would he give us this thing that had such incredible power if he didn't have some kind of good divine purpose? And there is a purpose within God's words for us. And he says this, look at verse, you have to flip out of uh, James here for just a second and use the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it it may give grace to those who hear. Paul is saying, and James picks up on it, not only should you refrain from saying negative words, words have a negative power, but the purpose of our words is to build up those around us. The purpose of our words is to speak life into someone else's life. It's to speak light into darkness. It's to speak grace where there is bondage and freedom and redemption. That's the power of our words. He says, these words that I give you are so powerful and you need to recognize their power and harness their power for the purpose for which I've given you those words. Words by nature and tongue by nature are neutral, but the effect of sin upon them can be used for evil things. But he says, use them for good. Think of the ninth commandment which says, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's the negative side of it, right? Do you know what the positive side of that commandment is? Thou shalt do everything to speak and to promote truth about thy neighbor. Thou shalt do everything to build thy neighbor's life up. To speak words of grace and words of life into them. Some of you have that gift. Some of you have a gift, and when I see you, I love talking to you because you speak words of life and encouragement, that you come and you write a note, that you speak to me and you speak to others, and I see it in who you are, and people are drawn to you because they know, yeah, you could talk about how bad the day is, you could talk about all the different things that go on, but somehow you have a gift, and you know that by speaking life into that person's life, you build them up. That's the power of these words that we have and the purpose of these words. And so taming the tongue and bringing the tongue under control is saying, I am going to do everything within my power by the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about that in a second, to bring this tongue, this powerful force within my life, my words and my words and the force of that to bear for the kingdom's sake and not for the sake of tearing down. Which is easier to do? To tear down or to build up? Which is easier? tearing down here's a good here's one great example for you parents when someone comes and maybe your kids aren't around and someone comes and speaks positively about your children what is your normal knee-jerk response yeah but you should see them at home (laughs) isn't it well thank you for that but good gracious you should see them when i'm with we can't we don't know what to do our natural inclination is to tear down Our natural inclination is to bring people down. Maybe it's because we don't feel good about ourselves. Maybe it's because we wanted the compliment and somebody else got the compliment. Whatever it is. But it's such a natural tendency to go the negative way. And Paul is saying, and James is encouraging us, and Christ is encouraging us, tame the tongue for the purpose of being someone who speaks life. Who do you enjoy being around more? The person who's the critic and can always find out what's wrong? Or the person who, even in the midst of a difficult situation, can always make you feel better, not with flattery, not with empty words, but with life-giving words. Aren't you attracted to that second type of person? Here's a little question for you. Here's a little litmus test for you. Uh, someone was challenged, as we were laughing on staff, we were writing all the stuff for the impacting thing, and uh, someone in our church has a great gift of writing, and she would challenge us to have a CTA, a call to action. I'm learning, Holly. Uh, I'm learning. Here's your call to action. Here's your litmus test. Are people attracted to you? And do they come to you for encouragement? If they don't ask yourself, why not? Maybe it's because when they come to you, they know that they're going to get a negative spin on everything. Maybe they're going to catch grief from you. Maybe it's Instead of, are they attracted to you? I mean, who are you most attracted to? And then would you say, I'd like to be that kind of person. I'd like to be the kind of person where people come and are drawn to me. And I can encourage them and speak life into them. That I can build them up. Because heaven knows that everything in our culture does nothing but tear us down. It compares us to everybody else. It tears us down. It says we don't have enough. We're not good enough. We don't look good enough. We don't have the right zip code. We don't have the right hair color. We don't have the right body style. We don't have any of those things. And therefore, it just tears us down and tears us down and tears us down. Instead, wouldn't it be great to have someone who comes and speaks life? That's the purpose of our words. It's not just to stop speaking evil. The purpose of our words is this. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Why? It takes you away from your purpose. You know how easy it is to get into corrupting words? And it's not just dirty jokes. By the way, let me, let me encourage you something. Just this little personal note. You don't need to try to make the pastor blush. I've heard every possible joke out there. There's some people in my life whose, jo- whose job and purpose is to try to make me blush, to see if I'll blush or laugh at a, at a dirty joke. What I'd rather say, wouldn't it be great to be around people who say, I'm going to see what I can do to build you up. Corrupting words, that's the negative. But then he says the positive side. But use words for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Just a quick aside, as fits the occasion. You have living within you the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is equal with God the Father and God the Son in power and in glory. And at that moment, when you see somebody coming at you, you know what you can do? You can pray very quickly, Lord, give me insight into their life. Lord, give me the right words to say to this person as they come to me. Lord, would you work through me to be an instrument of life and of grace and of edification and building up to this person help me in there. And you know what the God of the universe loves to do? He loves to answer that prayer. So that you can say to that person, can I just encourage you today? Can I just tell you something great today? This... um, Excuse me, the principal over at the Christian Academy, Larry Green, is one of the most positive people I've ever been around. I love being around Larry Green. When Larry has called me, I've got three sons who've been over at that school, and as the father of three sons, every now and then we get a phone call from the principal that has to do with some behavioral issue. But I love how Larry always starts it Bill, I love your boys. I love this about them, and I love you and Lisa, and and I appreciate this about you. I'd love to come alongside you and talk to you about this one little issue that I found within your son today. And I was wondering if we can get together and talk about that. But I just want to first encourage you, you're doing a great job as a dad. Okay, Larry, what time can I be there? Man, it's like, I love going to the principal's office. You know, all right, this is good. Wouldn't it be great to be that kind of person? have students who are here from the christian academy going he don't speak that way to me but he does (laughs) doesn't he he talks to you guys that way oh you know it's good to see you today i love appreciate this about you i'd like to find out why in the world you burned the building down but we'll talk about that in a second but to be an encourager in the purpose of the words then we've said that the power of words is they're incredibly powerful they reveal who we are and they have power over both us and those who hear them The purpose of our words is to build up others. That's the purpose. Sin has a negative effect on them. And then the problem uh, with our words. Here's the problem with our words or with our tongue. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, beginning verse 7, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Oh, Well, there's an encouragement. Basically, what James said is you need to go out and control the tongue. Oh, and by the way, you can't control the tongue. So you need to go out and you need to score 100 on this test, but there's absolutely no way for you to score 100 on this test. And so some of you probably now are going, good, I'm off the hook. Bill just told me that there's no way to control this thing, so it's senseless for me to try to control this thing. I'll put my energies and efforts uh, towards every other area of my life and control those. No, what he's saying is this. It cannot be controlled by any human being. Augustine picked up on this and probably took it too far. But what I'll say is this, it can't be controlled by your effort, but it can be controlled. The tongue is dangerous, and our words are dangerous. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you an exercise that I gave you a few weeks ago, but I'm going to increase it, okay? I want you to try to write down these six things. And if you can't remember these six things, uh, then you're, feel free. We'll put them up on the website maybe or something like that. I'm going to give you a tongue exercise to reveal how difficult it is for us to capture and to control the tongue, okay? This came from a ministry called Sonship that Lisa and I have been involved in since the middle 90s, and it says this, you have to try this for one week, okay? One week. Here's what you've got to try to do. Do not complain or grumble. Some of you have already failed. Immediately you failed. Stupid Bill gave me this dumb thing. Okay, I'm done. I don't have to try for the rest of the week. That was wise on your part. Do not complain or grumble. Man, how hard is that going to be? You driven down at Caligny lately? You know? (laughs) Bicycles with baskets on the front? Steer clear? Do not complain or grumble. Do not boast about anything at all. That means if you make it through the week, guess what? You don't get to brag about it. Don't boast about anything at all. Do not gossip or repeat bad information about somebody else. Do not gossip or repeat bad information about somebody else. Do not run somebody down even a little bit. Do not defend or excuse yourself no matter what. Do not defend or excuse yourself no matter what. Basically, that just means own your stuff. Guilty as charged. Got it. No defense. Do always affirm other people. You got it? Some of you like to have lists. There's a list for you. Call to action. Do not complain or grumble. Do not boast about anything at all. Do not gossip or repeat bad information about somebody else. Do not run somebody down even a little bit. Do not defend or excuse yourself no matter what. And do always affirm other people. So the assignment is simply this. To keep that. So you may be asking, what's the point of the test? The point of this test is until you come to grips with how hard it is. Until you start to actually see what you do that you do with your tongue that you don't realize what's really going on in your heart. You don't really know who you are. You've got to wrestle with it. You've got to be owning it and honest about it. And this is a great little exercise. I have failed it miserably since I was first introduced to it in 1996, I guess. How hard is that? To not complain. It's just so easy for us, isn't it? And it reveals something about our hearts. So the problem uh, with us, and the problem is that our tongues are so hard to control. They're so difficult to control. And you know what normally happens for many of us? We just give up. I'll rather focus. It was like me, my first semester of college. I had, going into the finals, I had A's in all of my classes, except for advanced math. I'm terrible at math. And I had a whopping 33 average going into math. And I tried, by the way, uh, in that math class. And so I went to Dr. Womble, and I said, Dr. Womble, I appreciate all of your work and your extra tutoring with me this semester, but there is no way that I can pass your test and get a D in your class. Therefore, I'm going to pull all of my efforts into my other courses to shore those up to keep my GPA being okay. That's about what we do with math this in the Christian life. We go, this is too difficult. I'm not even going to mess with the tongue. I'll just be really good at tithing. I'll just be really good at singing. I'll just be really good as this kind of moral person. I won't drink. I won't have sex outside of marriage. I I won't do all of that. Uh, But this tongue thing, I'm just not going to deal with. Paul is saying that tongue thing, the words thing, it reveals everything else about you. It reveals everything about you in that way. As an aside, I passed the class because Dr. Womble told me that if I just showed some, um, I don't know, some improvement he would pass me, I made a 35. (laughs) I made a 35 on the final and pulled a D, had to take it again for grade forgiveness, but it doesn't work that way in the Bible. So we don't get grade forgiveness in that, but we do get this. Here's the prescription because guess what you're going to do this week with the tongue exercise? You know what you're going to do? You know what every single one of us is going to do this week? We are going to fail. You might have already failed. You're going to fail. So what's the prescription for a tongue that can't seem to be controlled? James gives it to us subtly right in here. With it, that is the tongue, and with our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring uh, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Basically what he's saying is this. Here is the prescription. Gaze upon something so absolutely magnificent. Turn your focus in your life away from all of the things that have qualities that would lead you to complain. and And gaze so intently upon one that is so magnificent, that it takes up such place in your life, that it begins to push out all the other things. Instead of focusing so much on the not, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, focus on the from your mouth comes blessing and praise to the Lord put in your life something that is of such magnitude that it begins to press out other things, that it takes up such a massive residence within your life that it becomes the thing that drives all the other stuff. If you're complaining about what other people have and that you don't have, you know what's happening? You don't have in your place, in the, square in your heart, a Father who has given you everything, who has provided all of your needs in Christ Jesus who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, because you're looking around and you're complaining about what everybody else has. Instead, fill your heart with going to the Scriptures of saying, in Christ I have absolutely everything I need. Therefore, when my neighbor who sells their house in a day... And I don't get to sell my house for a year and a half. And I lose money and they make money. Everything in me wants to complain. But if I know that my God meets all of my needs in Christ Jesus. And he has a plan that was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And he'll meet all of my needs. I can rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I can celebrate and give words of life. That's awesome news. And by the way, that happened to lots of people around here, right? You lost lots. And other people got lots. Well, how is it that we can speak words of life in the middle of that if Christ has taken up central residence within us? How is it that we don't have to tear down somebody else because we feel badly about ourselves? Well, maybe it's because what hasn't taken up central residence in your life is the view of a father in heaven who thinks you're absolutely perfect, that he brags about you in the audience of the saints, that he has validated your life and he has said, you're more than a man than kids' culture can ever validate. You're more of a woman than this culture can ever validate. I've validated you. Therefore, you don't have to tear down anybody else to make yourself feel better. Or maybe you have a problem with Lying. And you go, how am I going to get rid of this lying? How am I going to stop this lying? Lying is oftentimes driven that I care more about your opinion than I care about God's opinion, that I'm willing to manipulate and lie and steal to make sure that I have the right, you have the right opinion of me. But how do I displace that? Just stop lying, Billy. Stop lying, Bill. Stop lying. Stop lying. That's white knuckling it. Or is it simply saying, God, would you displace my such desire for other people's opinions? And would you remind me of how you think about me? that even when I fail, I can be honest in my failings because my position with you will never change. You displace it. You displace it in your life. Too many of you are working from the outside in. You are working on behavioral modification. You are trying to stop doing this and stop doing this and start doing this and start doing this from the outside instead of coming from the inside and going, God, would you refill me from the inside inside? And let it spring forth into everything that I do. You see, Jesus spoke words as well. He says, I'm going to give you one word, and this is the word, I love you. He said, I love you. Now, some of you have heard those words, and they've been empty words. You've had spouses who've said these words, and then they've walked away. You've had lovers who've said those words. And they've walked away. I say to teenagers and single people uh, all the time, men will use love in order to get sex. Women will use sex in order to get love. And it's this reversal. And you hear these words of, I love you. And it doesn't mean anything. Jesus spoke words and said, I love you. And then he said, I'm going to follow up these words with my actions. I love you so much that I'm going to go suffer on a cross for you. I love you so much that my words are going to ring into eternity because I'm going to stand in front of my Father and I'm going to bear the weight of all of your fallenness and I'm going to take it on my person and I who am righteous and perfect am going to become sin on your behalf so that you would become the very righteousness of my Father in heaven. Jesus Christ spoke words to you but they were words with weight and they were words with meaning. And so I want you to hear those words today. And you're invited today to this table to come and to, to hear. And if you're standing out there feeling condemned by your words, wow, I've been speaking this way and doing these things, this table's for you. It's for you to come honestly and repentantly to own your stuff and to say, Lord, I need this table. And would this fill that place in me so that coming out of me are words of life and of edifying grace. To those around, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of Christ. We thank you that he was one who spoke words. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the door. You enter into the Father's rest through me. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread and I am the cup. This is my life given for you. Father, we thank you for these words. But more than that, we thank you that these words have meaning and significance in our lives. So as we approach this table with the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart, be pleasing unto you. To Christ be the glory. Amen.